Good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see everybody. I uh, was away last Sunday morning, missed being here. My wife is away this Sunday morning as well, two weeks out of pocket, and we were texting back and forth. She's up in Wisconsin with her mom this morning saying how much she misses being here. It's good to be back. Good to hear you sing. Uh, Super encouraging to me. Uh, As I receive your ministry, as I get ready to get up and preach, we preach together through song, and then somebody gets up to preach. So it's a, a community, a congregational effort, this preaching to one another. If you're a guest, again, my name is Kelly. Uh, I serve as senior pastor. hope you feel quickly at home here. We're in a sermon series in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Turn with me first, though, to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, chapter 14. We're going to get to Hebrews. It's going to take us a minute, but we're going to begin in Genesis. A benefit of studying the book of Hebrews is the wealth of Old Testament stories upon which the author of Hebrews draws in order to communicate to us who Christ is and all that he's done for us. Today's Old Testament story is all about Melchizedek. All right, let's say it together. Melchizedek. Good job. I hope you know this story. If you don't know this story, that's okay. I'm going to revisit it really quickly. It's a fascinating reality. Sometimes when I say story, I'm wondering if we think fiction. No, Uh, it is a story. I'm going to relate to you the details. It's a fascinating reality. Melchizedek's name appears relatively few times in Scripture, only twice in the Old Testament. Once in Genesis 14, once in Psalm 110, and then it appears in only the book of Hebrews within the New Testament. I think in three chapters, chapter uh, five, uh, 4, 5, and 7. So relatively few times, here's one of those references from the book of Hebrews, just to get us started, as the author of Hebrews compares the ministry of Jesus to that of Melchizedek's ministry. Hebrews chapter 5, son though he was, he's talking about Jesus, the son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered, which is simply to say that Christ went through suffering for us obediently. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be a priest in the order of, of Melchizedek. So who is this guy? Well, we first meet Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Hope you flip there in your copy of the scripture. Abraham is returning from battle in this chapter. At God's direction, Abraham had moved from his ancient hometown of Ur to the promised land, right? The ancient city of Ur was uh, located in what we know today as Iraq, was in the southern portion of modern Iraq, the promised land, the geographic boundaries of the promised land, closely approximate what we know to be modern Israel. So the trip from the southern portion of Iraq, Ur, to the promised land, traveling north through Babylon into the promised land, was about a thousand miles. Imagine in the ancient world, it was a trip of about a thousand moving on foot or by camel, from Chicago to Denver, right? It's a pretty significant move uh, in the ancient world of a thousand miles. Not to mention he goes there because God's told him to do so. And to leave his homeland means to leave the gods of that geography. 
gods were, had a geographic reality to them. And so he's forsaking the gods of Ur because another god, right, Yahweh, has called him to this other land and he's obediently following. Now, interestingly enough, he doesn't travel alone. His nephew, Uncle Abraham, his nephew Lot, travels with him. When they get to the promised land, one of the first things they do is they decide to divvy up the land. They divide their families. They do so because they had significant, uh, it was a, a large a number of herds, cattle, uh, sheep, and uh, family members, servants, and whatnot. And so they divide their families so that the grazing works out okay for their flocks, their herds. Lot chose a land toward the southern end of the promised land, an area uh, close to the now infamous city of Sodom, which was destroyed by God, right? And so, and it kind of speaks to how things went for Lot. It didn't go real well for Lot. Abraham uh, picks a, uh, a geography towards the north or more north, uh, towards the city of what we know to be Jerusalem in an area called Hebron. And so they're only about 25, 30 miles apart as they divide up. But unfortunately for Lot, once they've resettled in this new area within the promised land, invaders come and attack the city of Sodom, which is near where he is settled. And the invaders, these kings, they conquer this area and they capture Lot his entire family, all his possessions, and they begin to deport him. That is to carry him out of the country, back to the, the homeland of these invading kings. Well, Abraham gets word of this, and let's look at his response. Here's the story. It's Genesis 14. I'm going to begin in verse 14. When Abram, and his name is Abram because it's not yet been changed. It's going to get changed in chapter 15 when God... Uh, concretizes the covenant with Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. When Abram heard that his relative, his nephew, had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. Gives you a feel for how big his house was. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan, which is a northern city. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. He overcame them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. If you know your ge uh, geography, it's still the same Damascus, uh, close. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people, the servants and whatnot. Enter Melchizedek. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He, that's Melchizedek, was priest of God Most High. The Hebrew is El Elyon, God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram God, uh, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram responds, giving a tenth, giving him a tenth of everything. Now, that's a great uncle, right? I mean, everybody should have an uncle like this. When things go poorly for you, he sweeps in with 318 armed men and sets everything right. If you know the geography, Abraham pursued the invaders 240 miles. 
delivering Lot and restoring his possessions and all the people in his household and putting him back where he belonged. So glorious was Abraham's triumph by God's power that on his way home, a local king named Melchizedek went out to meet him in order to celebrate Abraham's victory, to bless him. We learn in Genesis 14, Melchizedek was the king of the city of Salem, which later becomes known as Jerusalem. all right? We know this from Psalm 76, verse 2, same city. This city, uh, so Abram is settled just south of Salem, uh, what would be Jerusalem, in this area of Hebron. So this is his neighbor, the king of Salem, coming out to celebrate his victory. We also learn in Genesis 14 that this king, Melchizedek, was also a priest, priest of God Most High. He's worshiping the same God that Abraham worships. They're in the city of Salem. So he's a king, he's a priest, he's giving praise to Yahweh, the same God that Abraham is worshiping. And notice, as a priest, what he brings out of the city to give to Abraham. Right? It's mentioned just in passing. He said, it's a, uh, the author writes, he brought bread and wine. The very elements we use to celebrate Jesus' death this morning. Now certainly, the bread and wine that Melchizedek brought out of Salem could have been simply for the nourishment of battle-weary soldiers. But it's interesting, and most likely more than coincidental, that the priest with whom Jesus is compared in the book of Hebrews brings bread and wine out to celebrate God's victory in Abraham and, and through Abraham. It's also interesting and most likely more than coincidental that Melchizedek is more than a priest. He's not simply a priest. He's also a king. He holds both offices, wears both hats. It's what might be called, and uniquely, a royal priesthood. And again, it seems more than coincidental that this royal priesthood, this royal priesthood was established by God in a city, Salem, that would later become the holy city of God, Jerusalem, where David, right, reigned and ruled, where Solomon built the temple, where God's presence condescended and dwelled among his people. That seems more than coincidental. So Melchizedek comes out of Salem as Abraham's passing by, uh, perceivably on his way home to Hebron, to return Lot to his area, and he blesses him. He meets him on the way back. He says, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. It's important because it, it seems that Melchizedek blessing Abraham is a recognition of Abraham's special relationship with God. Right? Uh, Genesis chapter 12, God uh, calls Abraham to himself and says, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world through your descendants. We benefit this morning from the promise-keeping efforts of God to Abram. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, Right? He says, I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world through you. Genesis 14, he preserves Abraham as Abraham goes into battle. Genesis 15, he's going to concretize the covenant, change his name, give him the directive to circumcise 
all his descendants as a sign of the covenant promise that through the descendants, right, circumcision is not in a coincidental place. It's a part of the descent. It's a promise that the descendants of Abraham, through them, all the people's families of the world will be blessed. We're a benefit, we benefit, benefactors of that this morning as Christ was a direct descendant of Abraham. So it seems that Melchizedek recognizes God's work in and through Abraham. It also seems that Abraham recognizes uh, God's work in and through Melchizedek. There's like this moment where the two men of God see God in each other. We know this because uh, Abraham pays a tithe to Melchizedek. Right? A tithe is a tenth of all the possessions that he had captured or recaptured from these invaders. This is particularly fascinating because Melchizedek was not an Israelite. A tithe uh, was an Old Testament prescription to honor God with first fruits given to the Israelites. Melchizedek's not an Israelite. In fact, the law's not been given to Abraham yet. This particular law comes through Moses, yet Abraham seems to recognize that God's work through Melchizedek, this royal priest reigning and ministering in Salem, turns over a tenth of all that he collected. This is fascinating because uh, Melchizedek wasn't an Israelite, uh, and he, he lives in Canaan. Now, first service, after first service, part of the perils of preaching in DuPage County is that after the first service, a biblical scholar came up to me and said, ah, eh, I think you might have overstated it. First service, I said that Melchizedek appears to be a Canaanite, so I'm going to qualify that. He's not an Israelite, and he lives in Canaan. We're not exactly sure his origin. I'm glad, <laughs> right? Well, he's not Israelite. The law of, of tithing's not been given Yet these two men of God see each other and bless one another, recognize God's work in and through one another. And that's the story. That's it. That's all we know of Melchizedek from the Old Testament. And while we're, we're left, I have lots of questions. I hope you have lots of questions. I have questions from this encounter like, what was God doing in Salem? That there's this royal priest ministering this king overseeing uh, this, this town and, and, and what exactly is he as a priest? How is he ministering? Is there a sacrificial system? What's going on? Lots of questions. I won't waste our time speculating, but this encounter between these two men leaves us with the expectation that Melchizedek and Salem and Jesus have a a significant future in redemptive history. This matters to God. God is at work here in this situation. And we don't hear about Melchizedek for another 1,000 years. You may remember that King David was an accomplished poet and musician, great warrior, poet, musician and that he wrote many of the psalms. In one of those psalms, David speaks of a future descendant who'll sit on his throne. God, in fact, had promised David that there would always be somebody on his throne. 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7. Your throne, there'll be somebody on it that reigns forever on your throne. 
Well, as, as this poet-musician is, is being moved by God, he says something quizzical in Psalm 110. It's the only other reference in all the New Old Testament to Melchizedek. He says, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order, of, or the likeness of Melchizedek. That's it. Two references. Genesis 14, Psalm 110. Not much to go on. But if you read the balance of Psalm 110 in its entirety, it is a poetic description that depicts this forever descendant, this eternal reign of this king, interestingly enough, as holding a dual office. He's both king, sitting on David's throne, and he's a priest forever in this order of Melchizedek. He rules and reigns as Melchizedek ruled and reigned, having both hats king and priest. In a surprising twist, the psalmist announces the king will be a priest, but not in the order of the priests that was established by God for Israel. In fact, not in the order of priests that was thriving in Israel at the time David wrote this poem, right? The the priesthood that was thriving and that God had established under the law was the Levitical priesthood whose descendants came through Aaron. In fact, to be a a Levitical priest, you had to trace your lineage back up to Aaron, Moses' brother, who marched out of Egypt and was the first priest uh, given by God to the people. Not in that order, though. David's saying, although they're, they're thriving, right, they're ministering here in Jerusalem, it's not that type of priest. It's a wholly different type of priest. It's a, it's a priest like Melchizedek, who'll be both king and priest. Why does this matter? Well, David was only a king. David was not a priest. David couldn't march into the local, into the tabernacle or into the temple, right, where they were worshiping, and he couldn't offer sacrifices. That was off limits to him. It was prohibited for him because he wasn't in the tribe of Levi. He couldn't trace his lineage to Aaron. But he foretells of a day when one sitting on his throne will be both king and priest. So a thousand years after, after Abraham met with Melchizedek and a thousand years before Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, David writes a song about one who'll sit on his throne forever with this royal priesthood title. A thousand years after Abraham meets Melchizedek, a thousand years before Jesus is raised and ascended, David writes, a psalm celebrating what is clearly, clearly a messianic reference to this unique God-man who will sit eternally on the throne ministering to us. Why does all this matter? Well, flip over to Hebrews 7, if you have your copy of God's Word open. To put it most succinctly, this matters because it gives us a frame of reference for the ministry of Christ and how unique it is It also gives us a frame of reference for our roles in our homes and at work throughout the broader county, all right? Hebrews 7, I'm going to begin in verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, This was a part of the Mosaic law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It could not attain perfection. 
Why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So it's a rhetorical question. His point is, perfection could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood. That's why one in the order of Melchizedek needed to be given. One, one needed to come who was outside the Levitical priesthood. Not to say the Levitical priesthood didn't have its role. It did. It, it was good and valid, but it was limited in what it could accomplish. Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must change, be changed also. Praise God. We're not under the law. We're under Christ. He of whom these things, that is Jesus, Jesus is the he, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, not the Levitical tribe, not the tribe of Levi. There were 12 tribes in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in the tribe of Judah. He belonged to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. Only the Levites could serve in the temple before the altar of God. For it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Descendants, right, in the tribe of Judah could not serve. They couldn't be priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of the regulations of the Mosaic law as to his ancestry. He couldn't trace his ancestry to Aaron. But on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, there's a reference to the resurrection of Christ. For it's declared, and now the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is a whole different thing happening. Christ is a whole different type of priest. The former regulation is set aside, that is the Levitical priesthood, because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope, Matt talked about hope this morning. We come this morning needing priestly ministry. We need a priest. We need hope. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Through faith in Jesus, we have a better hope than the Levitical priests could offer. Because Jesus was not in the Levitical order of priests, all of whom died and stayed dead. The death rate among the Levitical priests was 100%. None of them were raised. None experienced the, the power of indestructible life like Christ did. Jesus is a priest who lives forever. He was raised from the dead. He serves as our priest not on the basis of his ancestry. Couldn't trace it to, to, uh, to Aaron. But on the basis of the power of indestructible life. In other words, he was qualified by his resurrection. By his moral perfection. By his ascension. Let's keep reading Hebrews 7.23. Now, there have been many of those priests, Levitical priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. <laughs> Their ministries were cut short by death. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, ministering even this morning. Therefore, he is able to save completely to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede on our behalf, to care for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, set apart for special service. That's what it means to be holy. Blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted, that is raised, ascended above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for the sins 
for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Okay. In our modern culture, particularly in suburbia, uh, we don't often think of our need for the ministry of a priest. Who is your priest? Half of DuPage County identifies in the census that's taken every 10 years. Nearly half, there are a million residents in DuPage County, half uh, self-describe as Catholic. So I'm not saying we don't have any understanding of the priesthood. But we don't often talk about the ministry and the need for a priest. But in the ancient world, priestly ministry, both among the secular, that is the non-Israelite community, right? The Gentile community, as well as within the Israelite community, the need for, the necessity of a priestly ministry was broadly understood and welcomed. Priests are those, biblically, assigned to mediate God's presence. Priests are those, biblically, right? The biblical description or role of a priest is to mediate God's presence. Who mediates God's presence in DuPage County? The Levitical priests did that in the ancient world, uh, in the Israelite community, by caring for the holy things. Those things that were set apart to receive God's presence, So the Levitical priests in the wilderness, they served in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that sacred space set apart to receive God's presence. And there were accoutrements in the tabernacle that the the priests cared for as well. And then when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, the priests served in the temple, which was to receive God's presence. And they cared for the accoutrements in the temple, readying them. How did they care? They provided for the cleanliness of the temple, which is not to say janitorial services. It wasn't that type of cleanliness. It was a cleanliness brought by blood. And the blood was used to provide, uh, to cover over the sins of the people so that the presence of God could condescend and he could dwell among his people. In this way, the priests, right, they would sprinkle the people with blood and everything in the temple with blood. In this way, the priests would mediate God's presence. They would create a space sacred so that God's presence could enter and the people of God could approach. The sacrifices that the Levitical priests offered were not able to atone for sin. They couldn't, in other words, provide forgiveness. They were able to provide cleanliness so that God's people could approach into his presence. But then only a limited number, right? The high priest only once a year could enter the Holy of Holies. So a very limited presence. In this way, the priests mediated God's presence to the people. So who mediates God's presence in our modern world? Who are the priests of God most high today? Interestingly, the Apostle Peter says about all those who are trusting in Jesus that we are a royal priesthood. It's a beloved verse, well known if you've grown up in the church. It's on the screen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his glorious light. If you're looking for purpose, here it is. Not just Melchizedek and not just Jesus, but also all who are trusting in Jesus share in his kingly authority, in his priestly ministry. Now, what does that mean? practically. Well, it means everything that we see unfolding throughout Scripture. In Genesis 14, right, and throughout the New Testament as Christ is ministering and then commissioning his disciples and sending them out. It means that as Jesus's followers, we do at least two things, but probably much more. We represent the person and purposes of God in the world, that kingly exercise of authority, and we minister forgiveness in the name of Christ, through faith in Christ. As priests of God Most High, if you're trusting in Him, you're a royal priest. We're to proclaim forgiveness through faith in Christ. This includes declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness, out of purposelessness, out of sin, into purposefulness, into His glorious light, into godliness. That's our role. In fact, we've done some priestly work here this morning. Mark got up front. He held up bread and cup. He says, these represent Christ. He's ministering to us. He's serving the role. He's mediating God's presence. We do it as a community. When we sing to one another, we're declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. We're, we're singing to one another, not because Kelly can't feel, fill an hour of talking, Right? We, we sing to one another because we're commanded to sing to one another. We sing to one another because God sings. We sing to one another because that's how we can care for each other, declaring God's praises. That's how we minister to each other. As priests, we pray for each other. We invite people to enter God's presence through repentance from sin. As priests, we, we encourage each other to serve. Jesus lives to make intercession. As Jesus' people, we live to intercede. Again, purposefulness. For whom are you interceding? Who, who are you praying for? Who are you serving in the name of Christ? Who are you calling to follow after Christ? We also share in the ministry of Jesus' authority. We are a royal priesthood. And there is a kingly exercise of authority that Christ followers are to have. If you have friends and family, then you have authority, which is to say you have spheres of influence. And as followers of Jesus, we make the most of these opportunity as we represent his person and his purposes in spheres of influence that we have. Mark is an elder of the church. He got up here today. He led us in communion. Mark might have been on the platform last, you know, in the last year or so, but he has a sphere of influence as one of the elders. We each have spheres of influence. If you have friends and family, you're to be exercising godly authority in your marriages, with your children, with your in-laws, in your neighborhood, at your schools. You're to be representing the person and the purposes of God. Jesus came to the earth for this reason, to expand the kingdom. We pray, thy kingdom come, not Kelly's kingdom, but God's kingdom come, God's will be done. 
That's what I love about multi-site ministry for Glenn Bible Church. We've been on this corner, give or take. We, we've been in Glen Allen 80 years as a church. Well, as a part of God's kingdom expansion, his kingdom coming, we shouldn't be static. We should be going out, pursuing the lost. That's why I love multi-site ministry, right? We have a, a second campus up at 300 East Schick Road, right, in Bartlett, Poplar Creek Campus. Lord willing, we'll have other campuses because we're a people that are trying to exercise influence, not a giant multi-level marketing scheme, that's not what the church is. We want to see his influence, his rule, his reign advance, his peace and love and joy come to more people. That's why we share the good news. It could be as simple in your house as, or in your neighborhood or at work as blessing others. Now, I know that word is a messy word in our culture. You know, you be blessed. It's kind of a vague, strange word. I see it in Genesis 14 as Melchizedek seeing God's work in, through and in Abraham's life and coming out of the city ready to celebrate. We, when we celebrate what God's doing in and, and through other people, we're blessing them. When we acknowledge it, when we note it and celebrate it, right? Every good gift comes down from the Father above. And so, in fact, people don't have to be following Jesus for us to bless them, Right? We can, we can bless those following Jesus, those not following Jesus, as we celebrate what God's doing in their lives. In fact, by blessing them and celebrating what we see God doing in their lives, we can note for them that comes, whatever it may be, that gift, that talent, that treasure, that comes from your heavenly Father. We can encourage them to begin living for him, the one who gives good gifts. Who are you blessing? Where are you exercising your authority? Where are you declaring the praises of him who's calling people out of darkness into light? We exercise our authority as we encourage people to honor God with their lives. Melchizedek received a tithe from Abraham, which is fascinating to me, because the law of the tithe had not yet been given. Right? Moses is going to receive the law many generations after Abraham after the Israelites, you know, have become a great nation and come out of Egypt. I'm going to put it at at least 500 years uh, yet to come. But Abraham pays this tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek receives it. Folks, this isn't a payoff. This isn't a tax. This is a recognition of God's authority and work in Melchizedek's life. And through Melchizedek, for the sake of the city of Salem, so when we encourage people to give at Glow and Bible Church, and make no mistake, we encourage you to give sacrificially. When we do that, it's, it's not because you owe uh, the church. It's because it's in your best interest. Melchizedek receives this tithe because he knows it's in Abraham's best interest to recognize what God's done through and for Abraham, and what God's doing in and through Melchizedek in the city of Salem. We give here, and I'm a part of giving. I had somebody ask me recently, do pastors give? Absolutely. We should be leading the way in giving. Absolutely we give, financially. In fact, folks, I'll just be really blunt. If you can't or won't give at Glow and Bible Church, find a church where you will, where you are excited to give. Jesus himself said, 
you can't serve two masters. You can't. You can't love both God and money. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. This is no small matter. Some of the, if you were going to say, what are the largest idols in the county? I think we'd all agreed one of them has got to be money. And so I would be a really bad shepherd if I didn't point out that exercising authority means calling us to honor God with the treasure he's given us. I'd be a really poor shepherd if I pretended that idol didn't exist, that money wasn't a big deal in DuPage County, one of the wealthiest counties in the globe. If you earn more than 40 grand a year, it's been a while since I've checked this stat, but you're in the top 1%-ish of wage earners if you earn 40 grand a year. We need to be giving for our own soul's sake. And we need to be calling our kids and our spouses to give of time and talents and treasure. Let me pray for us toward that end. Father, I want to pray for your goodness to us. Thank you for the royal priesthood that we share in through Christ. Increase our faith. Help us see most clearly what you've done for us in Christ. And help our response to be as um, soft and devoted as we see Abraham's response. I pray for an increase in service and giving, time and talents and treasure at Glowing Bible Church. For the glory of Jesus and for the good of his people. Amen. Let's stand and appropriately, let's sing King of Kings this morning together.